getting cut off. <laughs> but... Good morning. All right. Genesis 5. We'll read uh, just the first couple verses here. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot the son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. You would uh, see if any of you are parents that moment when your child is just uh, basically sinning messing up, doing something, and it bothers you because it reminds you of yourself. And you go, did I really just pass this down to them? Very scary. Uh, I think there's biblical truth in that. This chapter is going to be 1,600 years of human history, um, right after the fall. And they have now passed down sinful nature. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus, um, we are overwhelmed by your goodness. Thank you so much uh, for even working in unique details. That you would treat us as individuals, even though we are one body. That you would, uh, the eternal God, where time is uh, nothing to you that you would uh, spend time with us. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord, we pray again this morning that we would be a people that are controlled by your Spirit, that we would acknowledge who we are before you, and that we would acknowledge who you are, and that our wills would line up with yours, that you might be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's a bunch of names, um, and it goes down. I'll have a chart later. It'll, you'll be able to see it better. But this is very interesting, like I said, in these first verses that I read, that Adam has um, Seth, and it is interesting there in verse 3, where it says, He begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. One of the commentators wrote this. Seth, who was begotten in his own likeness after his image, not in the likeness um, um, in, in the image of God in which Adam was created. For having sinned, he at least greatly defaced the image of God, and he came short of that glory of God, and could not convey it to his posterity, who are and ever have been conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity, we are polluted and unclean, foolish and disobedient, averse to all that is good, and prone to all that is evil. Now, one of the comments there, I don't like that he said something like, not in the image of God. Everyone is still born in the image of God. But the point of what he's trying to say is, this is different now. From, you know, from after sin has entered, we, every human now born has the sin nature attached. And all that that means. And so there's interesting pieces of this genealogy. Number one, as uh, people who study the Bible, it is good to just say, why would God put this chapter in here? Uh, it's very interesting when it comes to genealogies or hard portions of Scripture. 
I think there's a lot of us that would say, well, why, you know, why did God put this in there? Is it really necessary? I would like to encourage us again that all Scripture is God-breathed. And even if we can't figure it out down here on earth, it is absolutely necessary. And I look forward to the day, I really do, where Jesus explains all these things to us. Hey, this is why this passage is here, the depth of it. So my goal this morning is to show you, I think there's a lot of amazing truths, foundational truths that we have talked about. And I think it will show God's character. So one of the reasons I say that is, the question that came to my mind was, why wouldn't God write down more of what happened during this time? There is 1,600 years of human history in chapter 5, and we basically don't hear about any of it. Why? Well, it's a theological guess on my part, but in Genesis 6-6, right before the flood, God says, that these people grieved him in his heart. Grieved him in his heart. Very interesting. And if you look at it from God's perspective, creating man and female and putting them in the garden, and then they mess up and all the things that happen after that. And it's just completely grieving God. Interesting. Why does God, and God has recorded a lot in his Bible, but it's almost like God's saying, you know, that's, you know, 1,600 years of just me being grieved. So I'm not sure if that's how it is, but that was kind of my thought there, okay? And yet the gospel is in here. So let's show that first slide. It would be the, the name slide. Is anyone back there? There you are, Ed. I did a lot of uh, research in Hebrew. No, I just Googled this. Okay, I've been told, um, and I remember someone teaching this to me, and I thought it's interesting if we see God's foundational truths, what these names mean. Every single name listed in the genealogy. So, as you can tell, I I didn't write this part either. I just kind of took a snap (laughs) out of a web page. But Adam through Noah... If you read that, that, that last one, it says, Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. You put the whole genealogy of chapter 5. These are their names. So Adam means man. Then he had a son, Seth, means appointed. Seth has a son, Enosh, meaning mortal, has a son. And you keep going down this list and you put all the meanings of these names together, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Isn't that amazing? That right there in the genealogy, you would have the gospel. I still remember, to be quite honest, the first time someone was talking about, the first time the gospel mentioned is Genesis 3 with the the bruising of the heel and for a long time, I was just kind of like, I, I don't understand how that's the gospel. Uh, I, I just don't get that. <laughs> but um, all throughout the beginning, I understand it a little bit now, all throughout the beginning, here is the plan. So man messes up, and even through lineage, God is saying, I have prepared a way to fix this. I have prepared a way. And it is also very interesting to look at the perspective of humanity here on earth, how God has dealt with people at different times. There is a a huge truth to that, that sometimes we as believers don't 
really grasp that God is the same God and yet has dealt with humanity maybe differently over different periods. Some of us call that dispensations. Okay? And so in this one, the gospel is spelled out. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring despairing rest. Okay, some tidbits here about this time period, and then I'm going to get into the two characters that actually there's a little more in chapter 5, what is said about them instead of just their lineage. So number one, how many people were on the earth during this chapter? Interesting. I never really thought about it. You would think, well, it probably can't be that many. It's just kind of one chapter, then the flood comes. Well, again, there's a lot of different opinions. But I would say at least the most conservatives say about 150 million people on the earth. Answers in Genesis, that's one we like, would say around 4 billion people. There's numerous people that would say maybe 8 to 10 billion people are on earth right before the flood. Now, why does that matter? Why am I even bringing that up? Okay? And if you want to get, again, uh, science isn't the stronghold there. If you look at population growth and how old these people are and how long they could have children, um, it makes sense. Um, There's some disparities, uh, but it would make sense. Why, Why does all this matter? What can we glean from this many people before the flood on earth? Uh, quite simple, the more sinners you get, the more sin there is, right? The more sinners that are on the earth, the more sin that happens. And God allowed this to go on for so long, then he would bring the flood. He then promised he wouldn't destroy the earth again by water, and he gave Moses the law, a covering for sin. Then he came and died on the cross, and now we have the church. A group of people who have the Spirit of God in them, to hopefully hold sin at bay. But right now, I will tell you this, and this isn't end-time prophecy at all, there's around 8 billion people on the earth. You know, anytime you get to 8 billion, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin. And it would be interesting if history repeats itself. We know, as prophesied here in the Bible, they talked about Noah, and here comes judgment, and there's also another judgment coming. Okay, so if there is 4 billion people here on earth, now, again, just think about God's providence, what happens. They mess up, and this is just, just studying this again, I just, it kind of gives me the chills in a different way that the flood would wipe out humanity, except for Noah. That, that is uh, grievous, and, and again, it grieved God's heart, and, and all of that happens, so many lives lost. And then God's grace would say, okay, I'm going to pick someone to start a nation. I'm going to give that nation, I'm going to dwell with them in the temple and tabernacle. That's going to be my goal. I'm going to give them the law. And then that, you know, we messed that up completely as well. I'm going to send myself. Then we rejected him as king. But even now, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that everyone who believes on Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in them. I can't imagine. Here's where I get a little nervous or scared. Can you imagine the world without believers in it right now? If we think it's bad now, imagine when the believers are gone. Those verses in Genesis 6 where it says their hearts were just continually evil. Every single thought. That is the exact same thing that humans will do today. We will not get better. 
We will not get better. So we look at God's plan of how he's dealt with this and all those things. But a worldwide flood is, was, was coming in this chapter because of their sin. And we now have 8 billion people on this earth. Many not saved. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin. And maybe we should be aware more on our minds that judgment is coming. As we look upon the earth, judgment is coming again. And we should be ones like Noah, who they said preached a righteous preaching. Why was Methuselah the oldest man? <laughs> again, these are my theological guesses. But Methuselah is the one. Let's read it here in... Um, Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So actually, Ed, if you can show the other slide now. When it gets into the age of people, just for our own kind of wrapping our minds around this, Methuselah here lives to be 969 years old. He's the oldest. But if you look at these green lines, that's where that person died. So just quickly, someone like Jared down there, Adam is still alive when Jared is born, right? Enoch, when he was born, Adam is still alive. Those things were interesting to me. I was kind of like, nah, wait, wait a minute, let's, let's do the math. <laughs> when you get to be living 930 years old... There's a lot of people uh, coming from before you. So Methuselah lives the longest. Methuselah is the one that says his name is one that means his death shall bring. And it was actually a picture also of the flood. Interesting, his name means his death shall bring. He dies in the year of the flood. As soon as Methuselah dies, the flood comes. And his name means his death shall bring. Now, what's interesting about that to me? The oldest man that ever lived on earth, when he dies, judgment comes. Could it be that God is just that gracious? If you're going to have a guy who lives the longest, and right after he dies, is complete catastrophe. Wouldn't it make sense that God would say, you're going to live the longest? Remember, as sometimes we long for the Lord Jesus coming again, get us out of this kind of crazy world, he is merciful. He is not slack concerning his promise, but that he wish all men were saved. That's why sometimes, just by God's character, I go, we're probably not even close to his return. Because he wants so many saved that he's just going to be patient. He's going to be patient. Interesting. Our God is very long-suffering. In 1 Peter 3.20, it says this. 
to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. Interesting. Okay. Now, in this genealogy, I want to now focus on two people. One is Lamech, and the other, Enoch. Because when we talk about foundational truths, it's good to see the character of God, hopefully even in these names. It's good to see how humans typically respond as well. In Genesis 5.28, it says this, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So he kind of put a prophetic stamp on his son, saying, Hey, Noah's going to be the one that brings us rest. Why do I say foundational truce? What does this have to do with Lamech and this little thing here of why he calls Noah what he does? Noah's name means rest. Man has always missed the point and always missed God's plan. Why do I say that? What is he concerned about, Lamech? He is concerned that we need rest concerning our work and the toil of our hands. God has cursed the ground and I need some rest from my work. So Noah, hopefully you'll be the one that can be a better farmer to where it will not be so toilsome. Think about what happened when Adam and Eve fell as we've been going over it. Yes, the ground was cursed. But they also had a worse curse to me. Now Adam and Eve, there was something between them. They did not have sweet fellowship anymore. They had shame and things of that nature. And the worst part of all, they were walking with God in the cool of the day, and that is now gone. And here comes Lamech, I think a thousand years later. And he wants to prophesy, he wants to make life better. And instead of crying out saying, is there a way we can still walk with God? Is there a way we can fix our relationships with each other? The thing he's concerned about is get rid of this curse so when I work, it's not that hard. That's where his mind is. And that's exactly where human minds go. If it bothers me, if it makes my life hard, then it's got to be fixed. Not realizing that the, the depravity of sin was that God no longer walked with them. And now there's people fighting each other. Well, who cares about all that? When I go to work, I want it easier for me. That's where our humanity goes, guys. It is a constant thought of how can I make my life better and easier for me? For me. So he names his kid Noah saying, can this kid at least do some kind of engineering to where the farming is easier and give us rest? In fact, as foundational truths go, we typically miss the point. 
that Noah was going to bring rest, just not the way he thought. Noah's going to build an ark, and the world's about to be flooded, and everyone's going to die. Noah's preaching, you can get on the ark. You can find rest right here. Flood's coming. You can find rest right here. Not going to listen. Not going to listen. Do you remember Abraham when God says to Abraham, a verbal voice again, one of the passages that just shakes me up a lot. Here's the voice of Abraham and God says, Abraham, I am your shield. I am your reward. And Abraham, without dropping a second, just responds right away and goes, but I don't have a son. And there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of confusion. But at the same time, it's so easier to read it on the page. God is talking, saying, I'm your reward. Come be with me. I'm your shield. Come be with me. And Abraham's like, yeah, but I need a son. That's what I need. And here, Lamech, I just need easier work. And I wonder how we as humans do. Are we any different? And foundational truths. This was thousands of years ago. And all we care about is making life easier for ourselves. And God is saying, please come be with me. Please come be with me. When you are suffering, do you spend more time with God? Or do you ask Him to change your circumstances more? In your suffering... Is it just a constant, get me out of these circumstances? Or is it because I'm in this right now, I need to spend more time with God? There was a guy I'm talking to, uh, some of you might know. Um, he's going through a, a nasty divorce. Um, he didn't want it. But um, anyway, he, he also, in the middle of it, lost his job. He was making really good money. Uh, but he would have to get up at like 4.30 in the morning. So I always teased him, like, I don't know how in the world you do that at all. Like, be a teacher, man. The money's not worth it. Uh, hence my family. But, uh, and so uh, he switched jobs and everything like that. And now I knew his job. So I was checking in. I was talking to him, and I said, hey, man. I was like, you finally get to sleep in. You switched jobs. He said, uh, well, I'm still getting up at like quarter of five. And I was like, Why? <laughs> Like, you don't have to be at your work now till like, 8, 8.30. And he said, listen, he said, uh, he goes, listen, I'm going through it. He said, if I, if I, I absolutely need that hour, hour and a half with God. He said, if I do not get my hour and a half of prayer Bible study in the morning, I would just absolutely not make it. And I thought, Wow. Interesting. In the middle 
of his life just being flipped upside down instead of choosing to sleep in definitely is going to continue to spend about an hour and a half every morning with the Lord. Knowing it's his lifeline. I don't even have to comment when we get up. It's all in our minds. How much we value spending time with the Lord. When we suffer, are we like Lamech? Who could have asked for a lot of different things but he just wants to work easily. Well, let's look at Enoch, one of the bright bulbs of the passage. Verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it talks a little bit about this. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. It was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So in this chapter, this is very interesting to me. This is where we talk about foundational truths. I want to remind us again all that this means. He simply walked with God. And it pleased God so much that he's like, you know what? Let's just do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Let me get you out of here. That really doesn't work, the analogy, because there's no time in heaven. But you know what I mean. Pleased God so much. He's like, you know what? Congratulations. We're out of here. You're going to heaven. Now, wouldn't it be our desire to walk with God and to please him? Well, how does that work? What's the secret? Doesn't seem like we have a lot here. I'll tell you what. At this time, I'd like to remind us that there is no law yet given to man. There is no temple. There is no church and ministries to attach yourself to. You got to get this foundational truth. Enoch walked with God and there's no church to go to. There's no law yet. There's no temple. There's no sacrificial system. And he was pleasing God. Now, again, don't hear it the wrong way. As different times come out, you are absolutely needed at the assembly, at church. It should be a huge part of your life, all of those things. But what I'm talking about is he did it in without any of that stuff, which is interesting, and that God was pleased. Now, he was not sitting around doing nothing. In fact, you'll see other. Uh, there's another verse in Jude. It said he prophesied and he gave warnings to people saying judgment's coming. So he was active in his faith. He was not sitting around doing nothing. He was active. He was prophesying. And yet, all those other things are not in place. Interesting. Interesting to me. And especially when, what was God's original plan with Adam and Eve? Let me walk with you in the cool of the day. Let me walk with you. I would just like to give some very basic things. You know, 
walking with the Lord uh, is simple yet deep. There is so much complexity. There's over 15 verses in the New Testament alone that show how we should walk. But I just want to give little snippets here. There was four people who walked with God, as recorded in the Bible. Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Isaac. Pretty good crew. Why walk with God? Why is it important to walk with Him while you're doing life instead of others? I would like to say this, that God can push you because He knows exactly what you can do and knows exactly who you are. Enoch was enjoying sweet fellowship with God and God knew during that walk exactly how to tell him, hey, when you prophesy, go do this. Hey, Lord, am I prophesying too much? Am I prophesying too little? In that beautiful walk with the Lord, did they have conversations? I don't know. But walking with God, God will show you your limits and push you when you were supposed to do something that you didn't think you had the energy to do. This happens with me all the time when I'm walking with my wife. Three laps around my development is a mile. We try to walk almost every time on lap three coming up to my house. Kim says, let's do one more. To which I respond, no. We did our mile. Now, could I do another lap? Absolutely. Dependent if I really, you know, have to prove another one of my sayings to her or something like that. We'll take another lap to prove my point. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, but the point is, when I go by myself, you know how many times I'm like, you know what? Two's pretty good. Two's pretty good. Like, it's almost a mile. We need someone to push us. And there's no one better than the Lord Jesus himself. There's no one better when you, when you really are talking with him in your prayer life on a daily basis when you're reading your Bible. He knows you intimately. He will ask you of things that you're not ready to give up. He will ask you of things to do that you're not comfortable doing. you got to trust him. He knows your limits. He knows. Finally, one more thing and I would like to remember as he had this beautiful walk with the Lord, so good and pleased him so much he got to go to heaven. In Micah 6, 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? To do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember, in the New Testament, it says, All the law hangs on this, love God and love people. Our faith is extremely simple and extremely difficult to do. What do we have to do? Trust Him. That's it? That's it? Completely difficult to do. But let's not overcomplicate it. It is simple. It is trust Him. And to walk humbly with your God means this. When you walk with Him, you're going to realize that He knows the way and you don't. That's what it means to walk humbly. I can't imagine being Enoch. And what, what does his faith look like as he's walking with the Lord? With a bunch of people on earth, millions of people who are sinning and they are getting more and more and more wicked. And he just wants to spend time with Jesus. That's all he wants to do. Let me just walk with the Lord. That's all I want to do. I just want to walk with the Lord. 
There was a specific time when he did this. It's after he became a father. In 22, it says, After you begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. Altogether, he was 365. At when Methuselah was born, it says he would record that he started to walk with God. Now, it doesn't mean when you become a parent, you start to walk with God. But being a parent, I'll tell you this, that children are the number one way to show you that life shouldn't be about you. <laughs> if you want to live a selfish life, don't have kids. I, I mean, anyone who's had children will tell you they kind of take over your life in a good way. But there's not a lot of room for you to just do your own thing. Okay? And so I think it's interesting what made him. I just want to remind us again. You can be a Christian and have never decided to walk with the Lord. It's called carnality. You can be a Christian who's saved on your way to heaven. and There's never a point in your life where you said, I want to walk with him, though. I want to walk with him. This was here, the birth of Methuselah. Something happened. Methuselah is born. I'm going to walk with the Lord. And I think it applies to all of us is that we get our minds off ourselves and we start thinking of others. That's one of the keys to walking with the Lord. Stop worrying about you and all of your little stuff and start worrying about others. And basically start worrying about the Lord. Start walking with Him. Deep truths here in chapter 5. Not a lot there, and yet there's a whole lot here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for uh, your word. And Lord, um, again, it's uh, simple to say all we should do is walk with you. And yet, for some reason, so difficult. And so, Lord, today we just let us walk a little closer with you, uh, a lot closer with you if you want to be so merciful. Could you put away um, our own selfishness and our own sins and just we need divine intervention that we might walk with you. So, again, sorry if we need to, um, we need you so bad. And yet, I, we don't apologize because that's what you've told us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, Lord, we need you. We need you to do this uh, walk with us. Almost in a gentle force us to walk with you. In your name, amen.